0: Welcome to Vermont Artists and Authors, where we interview great storytellers and artists from the amazing Green Mountain State. I'm your host, Barney Smith of Storycomic.com. We are honored to have with us the nationally acclaimed and Clio Award winning Chris Lincoln, who is here to talk about his latest book, The Funny Moon. Hi, Barney. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. As of this recording, this is uh this is launch day for your newest book, correct?
1: It is. It's a. It's an exciting day. Seven eleven. So those are good numbers. We're excited about it.
0: Before we kind of jump in and start talking about some of this stuff, what was your? Do you want to give people a bit of background on what some of your inspiration and your process of writing the book?
1: Sure, uh, I'd be happy to. The inspiration was really actually came from my wife, Cece, who, for many years, I've written other manuscripts and. Uh, along different subject matter, but she was always saying, why don't you write something funny? Because <laughs> you, write, you write funny letters, you, you do funny Christmas cards, I'd like you to do something funny. So she has some sisters uh, down in Charleston and in the winter she'll often go to visit them. She grew up in Atlanta and winter in Vermont can get kind of long. So we uh-huh. go down to uh, Charleston and one winter she ended up staying a little longer And her birthday was coming in April. And I decided, you know, I'm going to write this funny story that she wants me to write something funny. So I kind of pounded out a draft really over a couple of months, two and a half months. And then I was able to present her with that draft uh, on her birthday in mid-April. And then I had to go hide while she read because I can't bear to be in the same room or know what the reaction (laughs) is going to be. And uh, so... So I had to hide and wait. And, um, when I heard some laughter, uh, from another room, I thought, okay, I'm on the right track. And, uh, when, when she finished, uh, she had some very helpful suggestions. Um, and as I said, it was a draft and you always hope that the first draft will be the winner, but we always know it's not, you have to rework things. And she was very helpful, uh, suggesting some reworking. So we collaborated on that and, uh, So it's a story about, you know, you're supposed to write about what you know. Um, And what I know is being married, we've been married for 38 years, it'll be 39 years this fall. Uh, I know raising kids, we've raised two sons. Uh, I happen to know working in advertising and I'm an avid golfer. So I know a lot about golf, but I also know about things from Cece's side. She's a massage therapist. She happens to do energy work. Uh, She's built a labyrinth, which is just a stunning piece of artwork on our property. Mm. And um, she also, uh, you know, through her work does communication. Well, she doesn't do communication with animals, but her sister does. One of her older sisters communicates with animals. And all of her family seems to have the ability to communicate with dead people. So (laughs) people from the other side. So all of that got integrated into the book. And um, I think that's some of the more entertaining elements that uh, people will find. So how direct or loose is
0: the comparison between you and your wife and, say, Wally and Claire?
1: Yeah, so everybody's asking that. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've decided that the answer is it's it's not a memoir. It's a novel. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) <laughs> While things are maybe based on what we know, and uh, what we've experienced, it's Wall and Claire are not who we are. Um, I think Cece's older brother said it pretty well today. He's been reading an early copy, and said, "I know it's not you, Cece, but it's your voice." And I know mm. it's not you, Chris, but it's it's your voice. So, right. um, yeah, it's it's about the life we know, but the story is not our story. When you were writing this,
0: how much of this came from imagination and how much of this came from interpretations of things that happen throughout your life or versions of things that happen throughout your uh, your marriage and life?
1: Yeah, I would say it's largely imagined. When you're working on a, a story, um, there are certain structural elements that you have to keep in mind that the reader expects a story to unfold in a certain fashion. And life never unfolds in a certain fashion. It's very random and mm-hmm. uh, things just occur. Um, and that doesn't really work for a novel. It can work for a memoir, It could work for nonfiction right. narrative nonfiction. but um, so there's a great deal of conscious um, creation, if you will. And uh, so that's that's what it is. The, the you know conversations are imagined, situations are imagined. The scenario, as it unfolds, is all imagined. Um, what isn't imagined is the location. It's uh, and the location, as a, another reviewer said, uh, really becomes almost like another character. Uh, it's set mm. here where I live, in the upper valley of New Hampshire and Vermont, right on the Connecticut River. And um, you know, it's a beautiful area. Uh, it also was a big inspiration uh, for my writing. Uh, The rivers, the lakes, the mountains, um, all of this is part of the book and what makes it distinctly set in a particular place. And that's, you know, another thing that's real, but it's also a fictional version of where I live. The towns aren't the same name. I've changed the names so that I have a little license. You need license when you're creating a story right and and so do you say that that way also that the the
0: setting is its own character as well then
1: that's what one reviewer kind of commented on and it becomes so vivid that it's like a character and i thought that was a very nice uh comment and i took it as a compliment
0: which part which part of the book did you have the most fun writing which character did you have the most fun writing for
1: oh that's a great question um there are several characters i enjoyed writing One of them was uh, Cece's uh, grandmother, and she actually is a real character from real life. Everything she does in the novel is imagined. What she says is imagined, but she is truly uh, that person. And and she's obviously been gone now for some time, but she was a wonderful character and a writer herself. And uh, I actually call on her as one of my writing guides uh, when I need a little help. So who knows, maybe she wrote some of her own dialogue. Cece's from Atlanta she's a she's a southern uh, an old southern woman and um, you know real Georgia peach and uh, had a lot of great comments and and wisdom to share with Claire did the did at any point as you're
0: writing the draft of this that the characters took it in a direction that you weren't expecting?
1: In places I think scenes unfolded in ways I didn't expect and that's always a good thing because the reader, Uh, is the reader is always one step ahead of you. And when you don't know what's going to happen or something surprises you as the author, it's bound to also surprise and keep the reader interested and active. So, yeah, I think there were scenes when something would turn in a way that, uh, you know, surprised me, but ultimately, you know, that scenes on a, on a disc, on your computer, on a file, and you can go back and, rework it as you need to and should sometimes for the, you know, integrity of the, of the storytelling. But um, yeah, that, that would happen. Or they'd say something uh, that would be welcome and surprising. But the other character that I really enjoyed writing and I want to mention is, is, is the dog. And you mentioned there's animal communication. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the dog was really fun to write because the dog says exactly what's on his mind and uh, has a perspective on humanity that um, I think is is interesting and more darkly comic at times. Um, and that 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 was definitely fun. And, you know, Cece's older sister, Gail, who does communicate with these animals, she does actually hear them speak. Um, you and I wouldn't, but it's this sort of telepathic communication. Um, so that, that was fun trying to figure out how to set that up and execute that. <laughs> so when, you're, when you were originally
0: thinking about re- writing this book, at what point during your creative
1: process did you say,
0: I need a talking dog in this book? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: you know, that's a good question. Um, it came pretty early. Uh, it came wow, pretty okay. Early. Yeah. I mean, the talking dog has been in every draft from the second chapter. Or the second or third or fourth, you know, you you have to you have to cut when you're when you're trying to write a story because you have all this stuff in there you think is wonderful. But it's actually not uh, (laughs) serving the story. It's serving you and your ego. So you have to get rid of it. Uh, Right. And that was a common refrain from Cece over the course of the editing process, which, you know, she shared with me was get rid of it. <laughs> I, heard, I heard that a lot. It became her mantra. That that talking dog was there from the from the get-go. Made the cut the entire time. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah well, it got better and better because, you right. know, he, he actually helps Claire to to progress in her story arc. He's an important part of how she manages life during the time where she's struggling with Wally. So it's it's right. it's a, it's a valuable character to have. Was
0: there a section in the book that you just, even to the point now of a publication that you just can't wait for people to get to that part of the book? It's going to hit
1: on all notes. (laughs) You know, I think maybe the first time uh, people meet and say hello to Mama Betty, where Claire is actually, Mama Betty appears to her. It's (laughs) It's a crisis moment for Claire. And there is her grandmother appearing out of the ether to help her. And to advise her, but with her inimitable wit and wisdom, um, mm-hmm. that's that's a that's a pretty good one. There's another one where she appears later for Wally, as well, um, and uh, I don't want to really give away how that happens. But when it happens, uh, she basically unleashes Wally's ability to achieve what he wants to achieve, which is to write a book, huh. because. That's been his goal for a long time. Um, but for one reason or another, he has not achieved, you know, success with that. So right. she's she's, um, she's pretty much of a good heroine, uh, secondary character. Talk to us a little bit about your process. Do you write
0: in the mornings, write in the evenings, or how do you dedicate that time for you to sit down and actually like uh, – write write out that first draft and second draft and whatnot.
1: Excellent question. I, I, I love to write early in the day. Um, nice. I'm better first thing in the morning, even before having anything to eat, usually just a little uh-huh. cup of cup of green tea and, uh, do a little warm-up. Uh, it could be just anything. It could be a dream. It could be what happened the day before. It could be what might happen later. Just get loose. And then you're jumping into the narrative. Um, one of the great tips that I got years ago through reading about other writers, um, and I think it might've been in the Paris Review series, Writers at Work, they asked um, Ernest Hemingway, you know, how did he know when to stop every day or when to st- He said, always stop when you know what's going to happen next. Oh, that's a good point. And it's a great bit of uh, technique, uh, advice. And I always, always do that. Um so, and it's generally not about time, it's usually about uh, word count. So I want a certain number of words every day. Um, I've learned that if I exceed that word count by you know, half again as much or twice as much, because I think I'm really on a roll, uh, invariably it affects the next few days because oh, yeah. um, you're just taking a little more out of yourself. It's a marathon to write a novel. It takes a lot of energy. It takes steady effort. It's not a sprint. It's not a short story. It's certainly not like writing an ad, which I did for many years. Um, So you really have to be disciplined and let yourself go away from the computer after the word count is done, and you know where you're going next. And then you can return the next morning ready to go, and you know where to pick up, and there's no – hesitation how did your career in advertising prepare you
0: to sit down and, and write a novel
1: uh, well in, in advertising I mean that's a professional writer you have to deliver right. uh, and so there's no uh, inspiration there's uh, there's work and um, mm. you can't wait around and hope that you're gonna get a thunderbolt from from above <sighs> um, you know and, and advertising is based on certain disciplines and i learned them very well, from um, you know my boss in Boston um, who's been a, a wonderful mentor for my writing, Dave Greeley and Dave you know taught me that you know when you're going to create an ad it has to be based on a process and there was a discipline to analyzing input and who's your target audience, what's the primary target what's the message what's the point of difference all of that stuff that goes into writing an ad, um, in a way you can translate it to the discipline of writing a novel or writing fiction or writing journalism. You, you just, you have to sit down and, and um, figure out what you're going to do and do it. You can't wait. Right. Uh, you got deadlines in advertising. It's also very competitive there are other people in the agency. There are other people who, uh, you know, want to work on the same account. Um, and there's always people knocking on the agency door looking for jobs. So, uh, You're really only as good as your last ad the last thing you've done and you've got to move on to the next one and do it as well as you can that's invaluable for being a a novelist um you've got to be disciplined right so that
0: you said it writing writing ads you you have an audience in mind every time you make that ad but for your book did this to first start off as kind of like a love letter to your wife
1: yeah, I guess that's a great way to put it. It was, um, it was certainly that, um, and you have your ideal reader in mind, um, mm-hmm. and she certainly was that ideal reader. But as I revised the book and worked on it further, um, that ideal reader grew and spread mm-hmm. into others. And you know, I'm, I'm not going to. Um, I mean, it's, it's not a literary novel. It has literary qualities. Um, I've gotten some nice praise for how well it's been crafted. Um, But I also wanted to write something that the average person would enjoy reading and would get, uh, you know, some some pleasure from. And uh, maybe some insights thrown into the humor and maybe some Mm. recognition of, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. Yes, I, I I felt the same way sometimes with my spouse, you know. Or boy, oh boy, you know, I've got this issue with him or her. So, you know, that's all in there. And and I really wanted to have a wide audience. I didn't want it to appeal mm-hmm. just to certain type of person, but have it be as universal as possible. Did you feel it was important to add a,
0: a lesson to this book at all or anything? Or is this just made purely as a... A story for story's sake.
1: I mean, I think there are some lessons involved there right. um, because there are some universal themes. And um, yes. within those, you know, we're all trying to find our way through this world. And um, I think there are things that Claire and Wally are trying to accomplish. And there's the element of, of self-discovery. You know, my friend, Dave Greeley, called it a coming of middle age uh, story. As opposed to a coming of age story, coming of middle age, and I thought that was brilliant. It's it's true. I mean, aren't we all evolving all the time? Um, and if we're not, sometimes we're being forced to evolve by circumstances. That I think is is a big part of of if there is a message, that's that's part of it. And it wasn't a conscious thing to set out to. Oh, I've got you know I'm on this um, bandstand for this particular thing. Right. It's more natural in the flow of the story. What made you decide to
0: take this one and then knock on the door of Rootstock and say, hey, I think I got something here?
1: Um, well, uh, I've had some success with the others. One of them, an unpublished manuscript, was optioned uh, for film at one oh, point. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was a screenplay written, um, but the film was never developed or produced. And that's usually the case. The vast majority of optioned uh, properties are not made into movies. But that was reassuring that, you know, I I could do it. Um, The novel never appeared, but the producer and the director and the writer liked it enough to take the option. You know, there has been some other success. It wasn't as if I just all of a sudden said, OK, you know, I had an agent for several years who tried to sell another book I wrote about um, living on the West Bank in Israel where I lived and worked just many years ago um, about a settlement and a story there um, that came really close um, mm. with a couple of publishers, but um, the subject matter was tricky and didn't happen. So when I had this done, um, I did query many agents and there were a number who wrote back and said, it sounds like a fun book, but I don't know that I can sell it in this marketplace. <laughs> uh, it's really hard to get, an agent. And it's really hard to get in with the big five. Um, that's random house penguin, you know, it wasn't out of the blue that I chose rootstock. It was more, I believe in the book. And, uh, I think there's, uh, I think there's an audience for it. Um, and a friend of mine, another good friend, John Freeman mentioned that he knew somebody who had done a book with rootstock or knew someone who knew someone, I think it was a second removal and said they'd had a great experience that had gone very well. Um, and, uh, so I queried, uh, Samantha Colber, the editor and publisher, um, last October. And within a week she reached out and said, you know, I, I'm really interested. I'd like to do this. And, um, but are you committed to this process? And, uh, (laughs) I said, well, let me, let me check. I've been very fortunate to have a friend uh, who's an investor and a big friend. Uh, he's read all my manuscripts and uh, he and his wife have uh, helped to back the publication. Uh, so it's been, it, I have two publishers in a way. Um, and a third, there's another good friend who's also been a patron over many years and uh, believed in me. And so this is really in thanks to them that's so reassuring. It wasn't just me saying this is good. Other people were saying, you should, you should do this. And the great thing about Rootstock, as opposed to self-publishing, is they have worldwide distribution. Um, you know they, They're connected. Uh, they also do a good job of sending out press releases. They help with uh, design and, of course, the editing. Samantha had some very good suggestions on the editing. So many people involved in making this a book how important is an editor
0: for an author
1: oh i think an editor is vitally important um Mm. you know because you're working in a vacuum often you're working you know alone for you know weeks at a time um i don't like to share chapters uh early there are some authors who do uh i prefer to finish something because it's easy to get discouraged if you don't get the perfect response. And you're not likely to get the perfect response on a first draft. So as you're going along, it's best just to work in a vacuum. But once you're out of that vacuum, I'm showing it to key readers, to what I call my beta readers, and there are a handful of them that I trust implicitly, and I know they're going to be honest. Um, and back to advertising. What did I learn at advertising? You've got to have a thick skin. Um, <laughs> yeah. you're going to get your ideas shot down every day. Uh, you're going to get your ideas embraced now and then, and you're going to have some success, but you have to be very, uh, thick-skinned about moving on, taking criticism, taking advice and growing and getting better. Um, mm. and, and, that's, that's a big part of what an editor can do. Um, I mean, the primary editor of this book is Cece, um, Clearly, right. because you know we've collaborated closely. Um, but Samantha came in at a perfect time and um, had some suggestions for some additions that were really good, and I think put the book you know up to another level. And uh, without her, you don't have the same book. So editors are very important. If I had an editor to start another project, I think I would discuss it in general terms as opposed to showing pages. You know, okay. discuss the story, discuss the arc, discuss the characters. Where is it going? That sort of thing would be invaluable with a with a good editor. Um, my friend Dave Greeley is a very good editor. So, I mean, I'm lucky. I have I have those people, and um, like I said, beta readers. And for this book, because it's a big female character and there's a big female arc, you know, I had some key female readers, including CC Sisters and. Uh, a good friend from college, uh, Carol Clemency. Um, you know Lisa Wheeler. There have been plenty of key uh, females um, weighing in as well, and that's that's really helpful. How? What were some of the things that happened from your first draft that made that
0: did not make the cut to the final draft that you were just really holding on to and hoping that it would have made it?
1: <laughs> uh, well, one of the big things was there was a lot more golf in the first draft. Uh, was <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I love golf. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of golf. And, uh, one of the agents that I sent that draft to, uh, when it was done and ready and to be submitted, there was several drafts after the first, but it was a, it was a manuscript. Um, he said, you know, I really like your style. You got a great, you know, great voice. Uh, it's easy reading. Um, and there's some wonderful characters. Men aren't likely to want to read about, uh, women's issues and women aren't going to want to read about golf. So <laughs> basically what he's saying is I had two books in one. And so I had to try to um, whittle it down so that there were, there were re- there was really one story. And that was the story of Wally and Claire and uh, not overdo it with too much of Wally's golf imaginings and golf activity. <laughs> yeah so some of those early beta readers would read it and said oh i loved it but i just skipped over the golf parts so <laughs> there's still a little golf and but it's 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 much more digestible and quicker and and uh and more effective right so that's so what was okay
0: so what was some of that was there is there some symbolism behind the golf because it seems like you have a lot of symbolism and avatars that are involved within your the story here
1: um no i don't think so i mean golf is for me and maybe for wally uh golf is a place that he can go when he's hitting balls and he does this in the book and okay spend some time by himself and uh clear his head while he's hitting balls and have his imaginary thoughts about his life try to figure out you know, what's going on here and what am I actually doing and what's working and what isn't? Um, so it's not so much about golf as it is about sort of a meditation, if you will, um, while you're hitting the ball. And this isn't playing around of golf. It's sort of practicing. And he has a sanctuary that he goes to to do this, a beautiful, natural surroundings of the, you know, the, the fairways and the trees and just watching the ball fly. And it's it's kind of poetic for him. Um, and and it and it, and it it reveals something about his character. So right. it's it's not. I hit the ball 450. You know, I hit the ball 210. Then my second shot was over the pond. It's 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 different. It's it's much more about golf for Wally is is more of a journey and a meditation and exploration into himself.
0: What are your what are what kind of some what some advice would you give to other authors who are going to be saying. You know, Chris, I got I got a book here. I don't. What What do I do with it? What What What's What What would be some of your advice for people to kind of like take that next step after writing their own manuscript?
1: So, um, I mean, I guess the key thing is you have to find some people who are, uh, are good readers um, and uh, you would trust to be honest with you about feedback. Um, the hardest thing is nobody wants to hurt your feelings. Um, Mm. But you're not going to get any better if they're not willing to sort of say what they really feel. And um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully, and I think it's proven by the fact that Samantha called within a week of reading. I, I, I took to heart what I was told, and I think people were honest. But if you've got a manuscript, you need to share it with some people. Um, who are going to give you honest feedback. And uh, and then you have to be willing to understand that it may not be ready to submit. It may not be ready to query an agent or an independent publisher. You may need to work on it more. Um, right. And the odds are highly likely you'll need to do more writing. Writing is rewriting. And uh, you don't want to know how many times I rewrote this, What what is now the book many 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 drafts
0: how organic or how specific did you have to be to create the setting around your characters
1: yeah i think what you're talking about is is how how did i figure out how to unfold the story right because because that is ultimately what it's all about people want to read a story um and i have read about telling stories i've gone to you know there are books that you can find writing books that will help teach you uh, to learn about structure. Because I think if there's been a weakness in my other books, in a couple of cases, the structure. So um, yeah, you've got to figure out, and I, I sort of believe in the first, second and third act. I'm, I'm, I think people wanna read a story. Um, this is an experimental fiction. Uh, it's 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 you know it's not just stream of consciousness there are elements that um, you want to try to establish so that you can carry the story forward and there are certain times during the storytelling that you have to hit certain points it's screenplays are highly structured i think novels are often highly structured and the average author of which I'm certainly one, needs that structure. You're not a not a genius who can just come out and tell a brilliant story with all the elements. So right. you're, you're writing sections and then you're saying, okay, well, how does this work with what's to come? Did I, is there enough um, uncertainty here? Or is there enough change here? Is there enough, um, you know, uh, conflict? Nothing moves forward in a story without conflict. Many people are writing beautifully, but if there's not any conflict, you don't have a story. So something has to be going wrong. Something has to be off and it can't be the same thing that's off all the time. It has to graduate from one step to another. And then there has to be surprises on top of that. If the reader knows what's coming or can smell it, they lose interest. So there are there's a lot of uh, things beyond writing a sentence that are involved in telling a story, and that's been an education for me. Um, it's like
0: you're you're like painting a scene with words in a way. Yeah, too. you
1: are, and you're painting. You know, many many scenes that build one upon the other that are creating a. Uh, um, you know, some tension and and, and interest and um, uh, making the reader want to find out what's going to happen next. Uh, that's that's crucial uh, to mm-hmm. to telling the story and right. learning yeah. how to do that can take a while if <laughs> uh, if you're slow <laughs> slow at the take up. Like I guess I have been, but it's it's I think that's one of the big things I've learned with this book is how you have to structure it. Right. And so what are some of those lessons, as you mentioned there,
0: some other lessons learned that you wished you knew when you wrote your previous manuscripts?
1: Beyond the the structure element, it it might be the importance of, of change. You know, there really has to be, you know, your main character has to have a problem and they have to, and they have to be trying to focus on that problem or figure it out or solve it. And it has to continue to get more challenging they've got to have some things that they're not conscious of right you know i mean we're we're all none of us know really what's making ourselves tick at any given moment completely and and so if there's that element in it then i think you actually have something that's even richer and fuller and more real to human experience so adding that is is important if people want
0: to learn more about you or learn more about Funny Moon, where's the best place they could go to?
1: Well, um, you can learn about the Funny Moon at um, um, Rootstock site. You can learn about it at my website, which is just up there right right now, um, which is chrislincoln.net. Um, I have a Facebook account. I don't really talk about. Uh, I mean, that's just to let people know what's happening with the book and reviews. And, um, and I do, I've started to do a little bit of Instagram um, sharing some photos and some updates, Um, but probably my website would be a good place to go. Um, I think you're showing me Instagram there. I've got a picture of the labyrinth and the moon rising and some stuff about, you know, a nice review and, this is this has been fantastic and
0: and really excited that your your book came out today and looking forward to the sequel right is there going to be a sequel to like the like the somber sun or something like that or anything you No know, it's
1: it's a great question um our our younger son we talked to him over the weekend and I'd sent him an advanced review copy cuz he was being de- demanding that he wanted to see it <laughs> while our older son who's more patient was like yes fine dad I'll wait I talked to Nick and uh, he was like So is there going to be another, you know, it's sort of set up at the end that there could be a sequel. And uh, (laughs) the answer is if it does well enough, uh, I have many notes for the sequel. (laughs) Plenty of notes. Then Chris, you're going to have to come back on when you write your sequel book. (laughs) Thank you, Barney. I would love that. It's been uh, a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, such great questions. All right. You're welcome.